Welcome to the Longest Stride podcast. Each week, we bring you engaging conversations with the global running community. We interview community builders and leaders and the incredible runners who inspire us all. We're by runners, for runners. And now, here's your hosts, Jonathan Greenwald and Andre Morgan. In December of 2020, today's guests lined up with some of the U.S. and Canada's top marathon runners in Chandler, Arizona, to take a crack at the Canadian Olympic standard in the marathon distance. But here's the thing. It also happened to be his first official attempt at the marathon distance, and he would end up finishing over a minute faster than the Canadian standard time, punching his ticket to the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. We have so many important questions for him, including why he has a Strava profile as a link in his bio. So let's not waste any time. Please welcome Ben Preisner to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Welcome, Ben. Welcome. As I said, we've been chasing you down, but I don't think there's any competition. <laughs> when you say chase, you don't mean like actually chase. That's what I'm saying. To, yeah. you know, he's fast, so we have to put it in context. <laughs> We could dig right into it. We started off, you know, just by asking everyone there how they grew up. For us, we'd like to know how did you grow up in um, in sports and your athletics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been a multi sport athlete for for a while now. I've you know transitioned into kind of a, a solo sport now. But uh, ever since I was a kid, I grew up playing hockey and soccer and a lot of those sports. And I really didn't start running until grade nine. I, I joined the cross country team, and I really joined. Uh, the cross country team really to stay fit for hockey. It was, that was always my number one passion. So it just kind of, uh, it kind of was a thing where they both started to cross after a while. So grade nine, I was probably more focused on hockey. Grade 10, it started to mix a little bit more. Grade 11, it was maybe a little bit more running. And then grade 12, it was all running, no more hockey. So um, that was kind of the transition for me. And I really do think being a multi-sport athlete really helped me develop not only physically, but also just in terms of, you know, playing team sports rather than just a solo sport, a lot of things, a lot of aspects in my life. So that's kind of the the sports background that I came from. Um, and then after high school, I went and ran uh, in the NCAA system at the D1 school of uh, University of Tulsa. And so I was there for five years. And then after that, I, I wasn't exactly sure what was going to happen. Um, and uh, things just kind of ended up uh, organically happening with me in terms of road racing. So um, that's where I found myself now, kind of running post-collegiately and uh, still looking to, to run faster even now. Ninth grade, that's kind of amazing. So playing tag as a kid, chasing people around, do you have any idea that you were wicked fast? How do you get to ninth grade and you're like, maybe I should run? <laughs> so that's the funny part. I've never really been like, you know, the, the speed, I'm going to really? run a four minute mile kind of guy, right? It's more been the, you know, in, in hockey, you know, I was quick, but it was always, I could go all three periods at the same speed, you know? So that's kind of, it almost is indicative of, of how the marathon would be for me. Um, and it's, it's been the exact same through high school, university. It always seemed to be whenever I stepped up distance, uh, in terms of events, things started to click a little bit more and it started to be more in my wheelhouse. So short, short answer to it all, I guess it's just, uh, not necessarily the quickest, but I, I can sustain it for a long period of time. I think that's where my specialty lies. Yeah. And it goes to show, because as you mentioned with the multi-sport, it then enabled you to have this other ability that you tapped into later on, but 
interestingly enough, um, a lot of runners then go to weightlifting to get better at it. But you, you coming from a hockey background, there must have been drills and, and exercises that then um, help you on just, as you say, sustaining that, um, that just that speed, really. Oh, for sure. I think part of that goes back to what I was saying. I think it really led to a sustainable future for my running in terms of hockey is very lateral and you're moving in different directions. Same with soccer, so many other sports, whereas running is very linear. You know, you're doing the exact same motion for hours on hours and that can lead to problems for people if they haven't developed other parts of their body and things like that. So for me, like even when I stopped playing competitive hockey, I still tried to make sure I was, you know, out rollerblading every now and then using my hips, using my muscles in different ways. Cause like you said, it, it definitely led me down a path of, of, of strength in different muscle groups than I necessarily would have if I was just a pure runner my whole life. You had success in high school. You did, you know, cross country, stuff like that um, track. Why, why Tulsa? I'm a pretty analytical guy. So there, there's a quite a few things that I was looking at. And, you know, I kind of just made almost like an Excel spreadsheet and kind of looked at pros and cons for everything. And it was, you know, I looked at things not in necessarily particular order like this, but it was, you know, did they have the academic programs that I wanted? Did they have a strong running team that included, you know, do they have the coaches that I mesh with well? Do they have younger athletes on the team right now that I think it's all fun and games if they have really strong seniors on their team, but I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be running with them very long. So do they have, you know, first years, second years that are really strong. And then, you know, I was also looking at proximity to home. I, I didn't really travel that much and everything. So it was kind of an interesting, Tulsa was quite far. So that necessarily, it wasn't necessarily like a con. And, and I, I was interested in looking at uh, things that were maybe outside of my comfort zone just to push me in a, a different kind of way. And then, yeah, I mean, just in terms of overall enjoyment, social life, that kind of thing. So there is those kind of four aspects were the main, main things that I considered and Tulsa seemed to tick off all the boxes. And it also helped that I, I went for a visit on campus uh, in March of that year and I was playing beach volleyball with the guys. And then when I came back here, there's a couple of feet of snow. So that definitely it sweetened the deal a little bit uh, <laughs> and that definitely gave it a little extra bonus there. I love that. <laughs> and then you um mentioned a, a lot of bit about um your strategy staying limber make sure your hips are, are going uh, so that you uh, you stay fluid now did you have any interest in kinesiology or anything um that had like a, a little bit of uh, interest for you or just the analytical part you apply that to your well-being yeah i mean there was definitely times in high school that i thought you know maybe a, a career in whatever it is uh physiotherapy or, or some sort of, um, like you said, kinesiology type of, of career. I'm really interested in that. I think it was more for me. I really just took injuries and, and anything like that uh, as they came. You know, I, I've been knock on wood pretty, pretty good on the injury front. So uh, it's just matter for me is just staying on top of things. And if I start to feel something, then I do my research and try and figure out or it's also important to have a, a lineup of experts and you're on your side, whether that's a chiropractor or a physiotherapist, massage therapist, it's good to have those people on your, on your team as well. Cause um, you know, I can Google as much as I want, but they're the ones that are actually in the field all the, all the time. So, I mean, I, I do, I find it really interesting and in how the body adapts and everything, but um, personally, I, I don't, wouldn't necessarily claim I'm an expert at all in, uh, in anything like that. Okay. So looking at 
and, and we happen to be on the uh, Tulsa hurricane site right now, checking you out. <laughs> I noticed you started to kind of increase your, your distance. Like, you know, you were a specialist, like 1500 meters and then kind of dabbled in 2000 meters, 3000 meters, had success along the way, 2016, 17, uh, some success outdoors, 2017. And then you go up to 5,000 and then 10,000. Did you have a sweet spot in mind or did you, were you always just trying to push yourself at different distances? Like mm -hmm. what was the, what was the thought process? Here? Yeah, I was kind of a unique one because in high school I became a steeplechase specialist. So in, in high school I was, the, it was the 2000 meter steeplechase. And that's honestly really what got me recruited to the University of Tulsa was, oh. I ended up running fast in the 3K steeple to qualify for the world junior champs in 2014. And obviously the 3K steeple is what they compete in in the NCAA. So that kind of made me a very niche athlete where I was able to show, you know, I can compete in the, the flat distances, the regular 1500, 3Ks. But also I had this niche aspect where I was decent at the steeplechase as well. So for a couple of years, um, I would say the first through third year of university, I was really focused on the steeple. Um, you know, obviously indoors, it was it was the 3K, 5K. But then uh, outdoors, I was focused on the steeple for sure. Um, but then, you know, like everyone, I just started to plateau in the event and uh, things became a little bit more frustrating. When something doesn't go right, you just start to overanalyze. Things start to go the wrong way. So at that point, my coach and I decided it was a, it was a good idea to try something else. And that's when we, we kind of moved to the 10K. And like I said, it, it always seemed to be like when I stepped up into that new distance, that further distance, things started to click a little bit more. And, it, and my training style really agreed with that. And so, yeah, I mean, I, as soon as I moved to the 10 K, I, I realized pretty quickly that I probably should have moved to the 10 K earlier than that, but, uh, you know, you can't always look hindsight like that. So I'm obviously, I got a, a passion for the steeplechase cause it definitely brought me into the sport and gave me a lot of success early on, but I'm definitely glad I moved on to the, the further distances as I moved through my university career. Yeah. And it might be, um, that you've taken, uh, it lightly now just moving to 10 K, but you've traveled, um, internationally to Denmark and, uh, in 2019 to attend a world cross, um, co uh, cross country championship. Again, could you like paint us a picture on what that's like, just being able to transition to then compete on a world stage like that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is very surreal every time, no matter what the event is. So my very first time representing Canada was grade 11 at the World Youth Championships. And wow. I was still relatively new to the sport and didn't even really know that competing for Team Canada was a thing. You know, I was still new to it all. And that was actually for the steeplechase as well. And similarly with the World Junior Championships in 2014, uh, right after grade 12, I, that was for the 3K steeple. So each time I've represented Canada, it's been, it, it's a completely different experience. It's obviously a huge honor. And you know, I've had the chance to compete on, I think on maybe six or seven teams now so far. And that was the two younger track championships. Um, like you mentioned, I, I competed for the World Cross Country Championships in Denmark and the World Junior Cross Country Championships in China. Um, and then there was a couple teams that I actually qualified for during the pandemic as well, which unfortunately were obviously postponed or, or canceled. So then the, the Olympics was obviously a pretty big step up for me. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I, I have an absolute honor to to be able to run for Canada. And uh, it's obviously something that I, I hold dear to my heart. And it's a, almost an unfathomable experience. I want to talk a little bit more about 2019, but I, I want to digress for a few seconds. Because every time you mention steeplechase, when the Olympics are happening, 
<laughs> I don't know if you know any of this. Leslie Jones, the comedian, was going on and on, and on but different things are happening. And that is steeplechase said she she was all over Twitter about different events like the you know race walking and stuff. And uh, um, Dunphy was running that um, walking that. But the best was when they were doing a steeplechase and a women's steeplechase, and she's on Twitter going, "What the f am I watching?" Yeah, and it was just it was such a funny thing. But I think a lot of people that haven't really been. And I mean, and we'll get into the Olympics later, but just that time where everyone was watching it because there was so like we were waiting for something to happen mm-hmm. in the world that we can like kind of like rally around and it was the Olympics. Right. And then, you know, of course, steeplechase comes on and everyone's like, wait, I don't what is this? So, I mean, for many of us, we know what it is. We know what it is, but it's just funny watching people react to it. Is, is really yeah, good. no, for sure. It's an interesting sport. It's an interesting event. Like even to just explain to someone that doesn't really know what it is. It's like, yeah, there's a water pit that you jump over and these barriers, if you hit them, they don't move. It's like, it's a very foreign, it's very, very different than every other event. So it's a, it's quite unique. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting one, and and like I said, I've always had a passion for it, so uh, I I always love watching those races. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I just think we forget that there there's such a thing as track and field. So most people look out for um just the the sprinters really, but there are so many events that happen within that same space that it just you know being having it broadcast is why we're paying more attention now. For sure, for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Two thousand nineteen half marathon why not let's Boom. bump it up okay Boom. i know well, let's just not 10. bump it up let's uh <laughs> let's break the tape at vancouver and uh and toronto so okay again things are escalating for you so what's the mentality of like i'm gonna start doing half marathons are you starting to think about hockey and playing all three periods <laughs> yeah uh, that's a really interesting part of my life because when i graduated university and i graduated in whatever may of 2019 um and you know I, I had a pretty good ncaa career didn't necessarily hit all the goals that i wanted but you know i was very happy with tulsa i, I wouldn't have traded it for anything in the world so and it was an interesting thing like i i'm definitely not fast enough for the 10k you know to run post collegiately yet you know, I, I can run a decent 10K, but it's not necessarily in my forte. I'm not going to make the Olympic team with, for the 10K, right? So when I was looking at it objectively and, you know, thinking about what's what's the next chapter look like, running was honestly not really on my mind. It was I knew I was always going to run casually or, or whatever, but not necessarily competitively. And it, it just kind of happened very organically where I would just happen to see that this half marathon in Vancouver was there and uh, there was a little bit of prize money that helped out and uh it was really just a matter of trying something new. You know, like I said, I was still fit coming out of university and I just thought, why not? I'll go try this out. And uh, I really fell in love with road racing. It's kind of a, a really cool mix of like cross country and, and farther distances, which again, like I said before, it definitely is in my forte. So Vancouver was a really fun experience. And then, yeah, Toronto was an even crazier experience because that one was, you know, I hopped in with the the front marathon guys. They were running 206 pace. So I just let them take the whole lead and I just hopped in the the front pack for as long as I could. And then the way the Toronto waterfront marathon works is the half marathon just peels off and the marathoners just keep going. So, you know, all all these, uh, a lot of them are Canadian East African runners were just, they, they had another half to go and I just peeled off like, okay, thanks for the ride guys. I'm going to, I'm going to head to the finish line now, but, uh, you know, that was kind of my first experience into like a really major road race where, you know, you're, you're hanging at a pack of 15 guys that are, have the same, same goal, everything's like that. So 
it's just kind of, like I said, organically happened that I, I really fell in love with the sport of almost like the niche of road racing within the sport of athletics. Yeah. It's a whole other kind of not genre, but like experience to, to running, right. It's amazing. Uh, so when you were hanging with that lead pack and you made that left turn up Bay, did they look like, did I just make a wrong turn? <laughs> like he's meant to be. I think a lot form. of them realized that, uh, that I, I was the, the odd man out in that group. I think it was pretty obvious that I wasn't going to run the full, uh, the full marathon, especially with how I was breathing at the end of that. So, you know, they're, they're just absolutely chilling at, at 206 pace, but I, I'm, when I'm getting to the end of that half marathon, I'm feeling it. So I think they could tell I wasn't going to either. I was, you know, going on suicide pace and going to die through the marathon or I was the half marathon runner. So, you know, it is what it is. I think, you know, having an extra body in there doesn't hurt them. So, uh, it was, it was really fun just to be able to hop in there and, uh, and enjoy the ride really. Yeah. It's a great strategy there. Just even, um, most of us, um, you know, runners don't understand the concept of drafting when you're competing, but again, a lot of us run recreationally. So we don't even think of drafting. We're running alongside each other, just have conversation, mm -hmm. but you know, for you to transition from, you know, um, the track, like actual, uh, the, the different, um, actual surface to now, uh, doing a road race. Um, I'm, I'm sure there, there are different mechanics there when it comes to just how much you pounding you're doing on the surface. And, um, as you said, to just, you know, tag along and then, um, have, have them coast you into the half there for Scotiabank and then kudos for that because, uh, not anyone could just show up and like, Hey, let's go kind of thing. <laughs> so, yeah. it, you know, it put, it put your name on the board kind of scenario and then, uh, the recognition mm -hmm. followed, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, even if you're not necessarily like drafting, you're in like the perfect, uh, you know, arrow shape or whatever it is to, to get the drafting. It's, it's also just, uh, that mentality of being in a group of people that are all like almost in sync with their footsteps and everything. You're just, you're so zoned in with the race that it, it's so easy to lock in and, and really just get the task done. Like that race flew by just because it felt so easy. You're just, everyone else is not even breathing around you. So it just, it, it <laughs> makes you feel like you're, you're invincible when you're in a pack like that. Um, that's so yeah, awesome. it's a, it's a great experience. And, and like you said, it's not, it doesn't, that's not just the front of the group. I mean, if you're in the middle of the group and you're with even more people, 50 people, I feel like just that herd mentality of, we all have this collective goal of getting to the line at this pace, whatever it is. It is a really cool aspect of, of road racing that I, I find is quite different than the track. For sure. Did you have a, like a coach at this point, Ben? Like what's your training going? Like, okay. So you're 3000 specials, 5,010. Okay. I'm sure, you know, it's a, a specific uh, training format to that. You just graduated. So you didn't do half marathons. You do any of that in Tulsa and you just hopped right into Vancouver. So I think it's kind of a two-part question. Did you have a coach or were you just like, I'm just going to go with this? And what is like, how do you actually train for, for something like this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was an interesting time um, as well because, you know, I wasn't sure how, how long I wanted to competitively run or, or if this was really considered competitively running. So I, I was mainly self-coached uh, right when I graduated university for a couple months, just I basically just picked my favorite workouts from Tulsa and replicated them in my training. Um, you know, I, I was pretty high mileage coming out of my NCAA careers. You know, I was hitting probably 100, 105 miles a week in my last year of university anyways, which for a half marathon is definitely sufficient. Like most guys for a half marathon aren't going to be, be running more than that. So mileage was always there. The actual training adaptation really wasn't that different for me. 
so yeah, I was largely uh, self-training, just kind of doing workouts that I thought would be good, you know, just sprinkling in some longer efforts, some shorter intervals, some medium intervals. And it was, like I said, really just, I guess you could say I was, I was doing my university coaches old workouts, but you know, I was, I was just almost picking them out of a hat, if you will. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of training for half marathon and full marathon, it, it was a little bit of a ramp up for me. The main difference in training for the marathons are the long runs for me where, you know, I would normally do 18 to 20 miles in my university days, but now we'll switch that to maybe like 20 to 24 miles. And it's also incorporating marathon pace specific within the run. So those sessions I'd say are the biggest differences from what I've, what I was doing on the track, but you know, all the other stuff, the, the intervals, even the tempos and, and shorter stuff, a lot of that is incorporated in my marathon training right now. So yeah, it's a good sense of familiarity, but also adding in some, some new things to spice it up a little bit and get, get fit for the really long distance. Yeah. I find that super interesting because most people we've spoke to is, um, they've been coached by someone they've, um, especially, you know, even after university and stuff like that, but to then take a program and uh, adapt it for yourself to, you know, even do longer distances, um, that, that shows your, as you mentioned, your analytical background, but be able to stick to something because most of us that are uh, recreational runners may think that we just have to find the perfect coach to make us go the distance. But um, the fact that you, you took that on and um, make it uh, possible to even become, you're an elite. The question I had there was, in reality, you studied chemical engineering in school and then still kept with the athletics and at a higher level. Could you I uh, break that down? Just, you know, like a day-to-day kind of scenario, what you had to do? Yeah, I mean studying engineering school while running uh, was definitely not an easy task at some points it, it definitely uh it made me learn time management and and all that those good skills um but yeah coming out of university that was really the main question was you know is running really a feasible thing for me right now um or or should i really be focusing on my career and that's that was why when i was picking university i really wanted to pick a degree that i think i could future proof myself with and you know i always had a a really good time with science classes and math classes. And so I knew engineering would be a good bet and uh, chemical engineering really stood out to me. So that's the thing. I, I've always been one to be relatively realistic in my viewpoint. So when I graduated, I, when I looked at it and said, okay, what am I really going to accomplish out of, out of university in the 10 K probably not that much. So that's where I did look at using my engineering degree. And uh, you know, I've been working some miscellaneous jobs as this running thing has kept going. Um, but yeah, I, I do like to keep um, a healthy balance in my life, you know, not just focusing on one specific thing. I think it is important to, you know, for me to enjoy my career and also enjoy, enjoy running, which is also kind of my career now. And, uh, you know, it, it is really interesting how I'm, it's been, a, I've been able to almost mesh them together and, and kind of find a happy medium of setting myself up for after running, but then also enjoying uh enjoying the years that I, I can take advantage of um, my athletic potential right now. Sounds dope. Yeah, that's a good question, Trey. 2020, <laughs> again, with the escalations, <laughs> you decided, okay, let's go. Half marathons, Vancouver, Toronto, no big deal. London, full marathon. That was the next uh, next thing on your plate that, that you wanted to tackle. We all know now that London at the time didn't happen. It got pushed back to uh, to the fall and was elite only. So again, what's going on in your head, Ben? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then 
I think the question for you is you didn't have a marathon time before that. So you weren't invited to the elite only in, in the fall. Is that right? So it was kind of interesting because before the pandemic hit, the London marathon did have a standard. I think it was actually like, I think I ran 63.08 in Toronto. And I think their standard for international athletes was like 63.15 or something. I just snuck in under the bar to qualify for the first London marathon that was in March or April of 2020. So that's how I was able to get invited to that. So yeah, I mean, I guess to backtrack a tiny bit, the when I finished Toronto, I kind of met up with my current coach, Rich Lee, who's out of Vancouver. And so he kind of even said, you know, hey, I mean, it's an Olympic year. If you're going to try in a marathon, like, why not try it in 2020? You can just, you know, I, I obviously showed quite a bit of potential in the half marathon. And like I said, I was I was always interested in, in pushing that distance a little bit further. So um, it, it just kind of seemed like a natural thing. Like, okay, I mean, if I'm going to do this running thing, why not go and try a marathon during this year when, or else otherwise I'm going to have to wait four years to to try and qualify for the next big one. Right. So, so yeah, it was a uh, London was put on the schedule and it was, it was all go. We were up in Flagstaff training. And, and then obviously uh, as the story goes, the pandemic hit and everything got canceled. So um, yeah, I, it was a really good learning experience, even just for the half the build that I was able to get in um, just in terms of, all the little things that you don't really think of during marathons, like taking on water, taking on, on carbohydrates. It's just such a different training style than I have ever experienced. You know, you're out of breath in the middle of a a 24 mile long run and and you're supposed to take in 150 milliliters of water. Like sometimes that just seems a little bit uh, unfathomable, but that, you know, you have to do it. So for me, almost jumping into the marathon world really um, opened my eyes and, and, kind of almost pointed me to all the things that I have to work on before, uh, before I really actually get one done, you know? Yeah. So when London moved to the fall, did they reduce their elite field? No. So, so basically when, when London got canceled, I was like uh, probably eight or nine weeks out of like a 12 to 14 week build. Um, so I was feeling really confident, feeling really fit. I mean, we were training for the Olympic standard to 1130. So all my workouts were paced out for that. And, you know, I, I did a, almost a time trial marathon and that kind of went well. And then basically how London did it was anyone who was in their elite field for March was offered the spot in October. It's kind of a weird, it was a really weird time. I mean, not, not just for running, obviously for everyone, but, uh, the the way it was looking was World Athletics made this period because they knew that the the Olympics were going to be postponed a year. They made this period between April and December initially of 2020 that if you ran a marathon, it wouldn't count towards qualifying for the Olympics. So oh. we were looking at that and then we're like, okay, you know, we could run London in October, but it's kind of useless. If the goal is to qualify for Tokyo, running this marathon is kind of useless right now we can look back in hindsight and that world athletics actually moved that window back to October. So London marathon did eventually count, but at that point it was, I already, I already told London that I was, I was out and uh, you know, I wasn't training for it. And when they actually made the announcement, I was like, I think it was like maybe six weeks out of the the London marathon. And my coach and I were looking like, Louis, that's a pretty good turnaround. Like how fit am, am I right now? Can I get into this race? And uh, you know, hindsight 2020, obviously it, it it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't the race for me. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I, I looked at other options and I'm glad that other options came on the table, really. Yeah. So it, you've, um, you ran solo instead of the London uh, marathon itself, just kind of your own uh, like virtual thing. Yeah. Yeah. So 
again, it was all just a really big learning experience, especially with the pandemic. We just thought, you know, there's no races on the calendar for the foreseeable future. Who knows how long it's going to be. So we just thought, you know, I, I might as well use this fitness that I already have, try and get some data from the the training that I did. What did I like? What did I not like? What worked? What didn't? And so, yeah, I basically uh, found this bike path just outside of Kingston. Like it's like 40, 40 minutes outside of Kingston where I was based uh, during that time. And uh, yeah, I just did 5k out and backs and just did that until I hit the distance. Um, I think that's harder. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't quite an interesting thing, but I did that because I was going to take my water bottles every 5k. So I put my bottles on both sides of the uh, yeah. of the 5k stretch. Supporting yourself. You know, ran 5k, grabbed my bottle, mm-hmm. ran the other way, grabbed my bottle. So I just did that uh, quite a few times. Uh-huh. And yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a really interesting experience because, you know, obviously I was training for the pace of 211.30, which is just over five flat miles. Um, and, you know, I, I, I went out relatively conservatively. The, the goal was not to run Olympic standard or anything mm-hmm. like that. It was really just to get a data point on, did, did I even like running marathons or, or anything like that? You know, I was pretty new to the whole thing. So it was really interesting. Uh, time trialing a marathon is, uh, it's a very, <laughs> it's a very interesting experience. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, and I mean, um, there have been stuff that um, an example is a marathon project. Um, you got invited to that. That's not just for anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really interesting one. I mean, I couldn't be more grateful for the organizers for that event because there was no marathons in North America at any of the time point there. So when that came up on the calendar, it just seemed like, you know, this is kind of the one shot. Who knows what's going to happen. Um, COVID could get really bad and all the races could get uh, canceled and, and all that. So the marathon project is what I put all my eggs in, in to that basket. And uh, yeah, I was really excited to run that race. I was very, um, I think I was really well prepared. And uh, like I said, it, I kind of went into it thinking this is going to be my only shot if I'm going to think about it. Because even if I didn't run that one, all of these races were becoming more and more um elite and more and more picky on who the athletes were so i couldn't just rock up into a european marathon and be like hey i ran a 63 marathon mm-hmm. or half marathon two years ago can i get in your race you know they wouldn't let that happen uh, with these really selective fields so yeah the marathon project ended up being the perfect race for me and uh, i'm super glad i was able to put it together on the day so that marathon project for anyone that's that's not familiar is, is remarkable because prior to that the Olympic trials in February was the last time there was a large scale like event for uh, in the U.S. right, and then yeah, you in have North America. Yeah. in all pretty yeah in all North America right. So Josh Cox, who's a well known uh, sports agent, and Ben Rosario is a coach. Two individuals that came up with with this concept and invited about a hundred athletes. Went through the whole COVID protocol. Everything was good, legit. An actual um, course. Certified, yeah. Certified. Thank you very much, Ben. Certified course, isolated, like went through all everything they had to go through. And uh, Scott, um, Jared Ward, Scott Fobo, all those guys were there. And you got invited to that, which is remarkable. So, two questions. I always seem to have two questions. How did you get invited? to the marathon project and maybe could you walk us through kind of what ex- what your experience was we know we're going to get to the outcome we all know the outcome we we all watch the games uh in the summer <laughs> but towing a line with men and women that you've probably seen in the past as like incredible athletes best of the best how did you get invited and what was that experience like towing a line with some of these folks it was nerve-wracking trying to to get into that race because obviously 
you know, like, like you said, it was very limited. They, they had 50 men, 50 women that they knew that was the limit that the Arizona government was allowing for races, which whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, that wouldn't have happened in Canada, but uh, it, ha- it was allowed in Arizona. And, and they definitely followed a lot of protocols. You know, we got tested yep. multiple times before and, and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, it was basically as soon as the website opened up, I put an application in and just kind of pled my case. You know, I ran uh, just saying, you know, I ran this 63 minute. I, I've won two half marathons recently. I time trial the 215 by myself. And, you know, they, I guess they, they decided that that was good enough to, to get into this race. And obviously, like I said, I, I couldn't be more grateful that they, they had trust that this relatively unknown guy, it's like, you know, it's not like I was that known in the NCAA or anything like that either. So definitely grateful that uh, I was able to get the chance to, to really put it on the line there. Um, Cause like you said, the, there was a, there was a really good field there. Um, they, they really did a great job in recruiting and getting a good guys to race, but also to pace. Cause that's also a really important factor when you're almost time trialing a, a race like that. You got to have a couple guys that are able to drive that pace because not everyone wants to, to take the brunt of the the load for the first portion of a, a marathon. So it worked out well. So you came in over a minute under the Canada qualifying time. So let's just recap for anyone that's you know not keeping track here. Okay, mm-hmm. 2019, you decide I'm going to try half marathon. Okay, crushes Vancouver, crush Toronto. A year later. It was just over a year later. Well, it was less than a year when you were going to take a crack at uh, the standard time in, in London. So you went from, I'm going to attempt the marathon distance, but go big or go home, right? Let's go for the standard. And then, you know, we, we kind of fast forward now to the marathon project, which was in December, 2020. You just graduated May 2019 and all this stuff is going on. It's like, I mean, I don't know, fairy tale is not the right way of putting it, but like the, the the amount of things that you've experienced in this short amount of time is is absolutely remarkable. So what's your mindset at this point? And of course, Ben, you, you, you cap it all off with the uh, standard time, but like, what are you thinking? Obviously a good decision, but yeah. Yeah. And like, that's, that's the tough part is, you know, when we're sitting in the summer of 2020, when nothing's going on, there's no racing it was always a question in my mind, am I doing the right thing? You know, should I be working a full-time job right now or, or am I wasting my time with this? And, you know, all of that doubt really crept in. And I'm really glad that, you know, I had a lot of support from not only my coaches, but my family and everything to, to keep going. Cause you know, I was already, uh, already devoted. I've been a devoted runner for quite a long time. And I think it was almost a thing where I developed that mindset and it was so driven into my mind that, um, giving up on that really wasn't an option for me. And so, yeah, I mean, it it was, it was stressful trying to find the right race and trying to get into races and, you know, you find a race and then two weeks later it's canceled. And, you know, that's just how it goes with the, uh, the unpredictability of, of the pandemic right now. But um, yeah, I mean, it was as soon as the, the marathon project was on the line on the race calendar. And, you know, I was just, again, I I just put myself all in. I thought I said, this could be my only shot whether it happens or not i'm going to i'm going to go for it i'm going to train as if it's happening and uh yeah and I, I mean the goals the goals for the event just kept getting better and better i you know initially i was thinking all right 21130 is going to make this team you know we haven't had that many marathoners in the history of canadian marathoning go that under 21130 so that was the, my standard at first thought and then you know so trevor already had the automatic spot from toronto waterfront so that spot was gone and then uh, Tristan went and ran two ten fifty or so at the London Marathon in October. So then that kind of raised the bar, and I'm like, okay, I mean, 
there's three guys in the marathon project. So likely when I went into that marathon project, my two main goals were I, I can't be the third Canadian because then it's useless. And I also would likely have to beat Tristan's time of 210.50. So that increased my goal from 211.30 to 210.50 or under. And so, you know, I still had a lot of time to adapt my training to that. And we, paces were feeling really good. And then, you know, uh, probably four or five weeks out from the race, I heard that there was going to be either a pace group going out in 209 flat pace or 211.30 pace. And obviously I was thinking right in the middle of that would be perfect for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, <laughs> but there's no pace group in between that. So like exactly. you're kind of doing your own thing. Exactly. So, so then I'm thinking, okay, well, 211.30 is too slow for me. So I guess we're going to have to go with the 209 flat pace group, right? Oh. Which is a huge jump, right? <laughs> and so just to get into the mindset of going out and, you know, it's, it's almost exactly 455 per mile. <laughs> Not kilometer people. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We're speaking miles. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, it was a big jump, but then as training progressed, I was very confident that I could get through 20 miles or, or 32 K at 209 flat pace. I, I was doing 15 to 18 mile tempos around that pace. I was very comfortable. So I was confident I could get through 20 miles, 32 K without going into the red zone. And the real question was what's going to happen that last six, six miles, last 10 mm. K. Cause that one was kind of, you know, uncharted waters. I hadn't really gone that fast that far in a run before so yeah the whole the whole plan was i mean there's a pace group going out in 209 i knew that the other canadians are going to do that too so you know it was really just a matter of keeping my eye on them and and really just focusing on myself so yeah i mean i made it through made it through 20 miles as expected and uh i think i was through halfway just shy of of 64:30, which is 209 flat pace i think i was like 64:39 or something like that yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was interesting how the goal just kept getting pushed a little bit further and further. It was almost like a carrot that I was chasing. And in hindsight, I think that was a really good thing for me because it, it didn't necessarily set uh, a limit on myself. I, I just kept adapting to the situation and, and just trying to keep a positive mindset on, on what could be achieved. Yeah, and I think even um, just based on what Jonathan's been listing out is that to show the progression and now we're talking about the world stage. This is the Olympic experience. Like, tell us anything you want from that. We don't even want to question you about the Olympics, but the Olympic experience um, for us watching it is amazing. But just you being in it, I'm sure you had to go through protocols. But beyond that, the race itself, all the exciting parts. Yeah, yeah. It obviously, goes without saying, it was a very unique, uh, unique Olympic Games. There was a lot of protocols. We were a lot of hotel time, but I mean, they, they took care of us. It was really interesting when we first got to Japan about two weeks before the race for the marathon, basically all of the track and field and basically all the athletics athletes were in a city called Gifu, Japan. And, you know, it, it was just such an awesome experience. You know, I'm just, I'm getting lunch and I'm sitting next to Damian Warner, just talking about absolutely nothing. You know, it's just like, it's just crazy just meeting all these normal people that are out there winning the Olympic gold medals and stuff like that. So, I mean, that that's definitely got to be a highlight. Um, but then, I mean, obviously the race itself for it to be my second actual marathon and it's, it's the, the line of the Olympic marathon and, you know, there's Kipchoge is on the line and, and all these fantastic athletes. It, it's humbling almost. Um, and obviously a huge honor to be selected that they had the confidence that I was going to be able to represent Canada um, on the main stage. And you've done that. And uh, kudos to you. And, 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 you know, it's like we're pinching ourselves right now. You're here with us having a conversation. <laughs> you know, anyone that listens to the podcast, 
is hearing directly from you and that goes a long way because we we may see the other parts of it but not hear the in between and this is why the longest strides here to kind of get those bits you know how you grew up that type of stuff and uh just have a chat as you said you've, you've met um gold medalists uh, at the olympics and you're just having conversation about nothing so this is how we feel when we're talking to you as well just bring you in and that's the funny part is it, it really did come quick for me too it, it obviously it was a surreal experience so i mean even just talking about it, uh, it brings back such fond memories of just, you know, hanging out with the group. And, you know, it's funny because it, it is a lot of work that I've put in over the past, you know, decade of running that I've done. And it's all culminated to this, but it's kind of that interesting, twisty, turny pathway of how you get there. You know, obviously, I've had so much support in my my career. And I think that's really what's gotten me to where I am today from my, my family, my coaches, my teammates, my, my friends, everything. You know, there's been very little, if any, people um, out there trying to persuade me to go a different direction or say, ah, I don't know if running is really the thing that you should be focused <laughs> Not on. Not anymore. You know? <laughs> no. I mean, it's it's been absolutely fantastic, yeah. Yeah. And then you come back to Canada after the Olympic Games, and now everyone knows Ben Preisner. That's us up. <laughs> RBC, tell us, you know, you're RBC Olympian, Global Ambassador for Lemon, Can Fund recipient, like, the list goes on and on and on. It's just absolutely remarkable what's what's happening here and so well-deserved, like all the success. So if we could just kind of talk about some of these things real quick. Let's talk about the RBC thing, because I think you announced that maybe today on, on Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the, yeah, the program, I, I've been, uh, I joined the RBC Olympian program uh, this year, which the cohort was announced uh, announced today. So that's a really awesome experience that RBC Congrats. was able to make for Olympians and athletes in general, just because, you know, it, it does take a lot of time and effort out of our data to train. And so being able to provide us with a flexible job that, you know, we can provide a meaningful job for them, but then they can also give us work experience and obviously some funding as well that helps. So yeah, RBC, the program is really a blessing for a lot of us athletes because we're able to focus on both developing a career for after sport, but then also focusing on what we can accomplish right now athletically. Super impressive because, you know, we've heard of or even seen just Olympians that have to have a career after the fact or even just during to sustain their training. So we're, you know, some countries, as you know, pay the Olympians like, you know, cash to even do anything. A lot of people may not know this, that there isn't any massive amount of money from our government doing anything for our athletes. So these ventures and, um, you know, CanFund as an example, just being able to provide. And um, it, it's not this like let you live your dream it's almost as if like it's necessary because when you do go it's like you're taking half your life to go represent us on a world stage even doing what you love but you're taking time i'm sure all those training when you do in the dark the time you have to go out there you've dedicated yourself to do this so it goes beyond just oh i need funding to keep me sustainable we have to support our athletes because at the end of the day we're all cheering but not knowing what, what went into that. So as a PSA, it's like, hey, wake up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting. Like uh, there isn't, oh, obviously a huge amount of funding. And, you know, I I obviously flip-flop back and forth because I'm, I'm on a biased side of it. But, uh, you know, I understand there's, especially during a pandemic, there's bigger fish to fry than uh, paying some athletes a little bit more money. So, you know, I I, I fully understand that, you know, 
sometimes you have to prioritize funding. But yeah, I, a group like RBC that that really allows us to find the happy medium of allowing us to have a little bit of funding on our side, but then we're also able to work for them and, and help them in different ways. And some of that's even just in marketing and, and you know, uh, speaking engagements and stuff like that. And some of them are actually office roles that I'm going to do. So I think it's a really good happy medium of finding something that we can both mutually benefit from. And I think that's a, it's a great initiative and I'm, I'm definitely on board with it. Super dope. Yeah, it is dope. And then you become global ambassador, which may or may not have something to do with Lululemon becoming the uh, official uh, clothing outfitter of the uh, Olympic Games through 2028, which is another remarkable announcement that happened uh, in September. So what's that all about, the, the Lululemon uh, Athletico global ambassador part? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a long time in the work. I, I was always really interested in partnering with Lululemon. I mean, it's a Canadian company. It's out of Vancouver. And uh, I mean, they re- make really good uh, good athletic wear. So for me, it was a, it was kind of a no-brainer of a partnership. And uh, I'm obviously super happy with the partnership. I, I couldn't be happier. So yeah, I mean, it actually, I don't know if it was in, in their grand plan. Obviously, they knew what was happening, but it, it was uh, definitely a happy coincidence for me that the that they did partner with Team Canada for their outfitting. So that that's just great news for me. I mean, obviously Team Canada has had some great outfitters in the past, but the, now that it's it aligns with my sponsor right now and uh, it works great for me because now I can I can enjoy all the Lululemon uh, Team Canada clothing that I want. <laughs> it's perfect. It just comes together so well. And yep. there is a, a small list of global ambassadors for Lululemon. So you're representing Canada again, right? Again, right off the bat, you know, <laughs> regardless of it's it being a you know a business. Uh, but just really happy for you, and appreciate that 100%. You're, you're able to um, just shine some light on that for us. You know, to let us understand what it is. Um, so what's next? What's next for Ben? I, I know this Sunday's a race. <laughs> yeah, I'm racing uh, the Toronto 10K Championships. Um, and so that's going to be really back. exciting. Yeah, right? Yeah, it is. And that's that's the really exciting part. It's It's been a long time coming, especially in Canada, for, for a larger field. It's still a little bit restricted, but I mean, 5,000 athletes is still quite a big field. So I'm really excited to, to be able to, you know, showcase the, the Canadian field there and it's a little bit out of my wheelhouse. There's a quite a few strong athletes in the, on the line, but, uh, you know, I'm excited to get competitive in there and, uh, show, show the 10 K guys what uh, marathon legs are like. <laughs> I was going to say it's only 10 K Ben. It's I only 10 K. Right? <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's like, it, it's a, it's a show for us. You know what I mean? Just to see that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super excited. You know, there's, there's a couple 5k specialists in there. There's a couple 10k specialists in there. And, uh, obviously there's a couple road specialists in there too. So it's, it'll be an interesting mix on what the track guys can do on the roads. And, you know, whether that is a little bit, whether that even is a playing field a little bit being a, a road 10k rather than a track 10k, for example. So I'm definitely excited for that. Uh, I'm excited for the race. I'm excited to race back in Canada and obviously back in Toronto, uh, like we went over and, it's kind of where my road racing really took off. I mean, Vancouver was a great um, first initiation into road racing, but Toronto is also where where it really did take off. So I'm, I'm super excited to get back to that. Yeah, we're excited. Uh, I'm definitely going to be out cheering. I don't know if you'll be in town, Dre. Oh, I'll be there for sure. Oh, can't wait. We are excited for you, Ben. We're also excited for Toronto. We need this. You see Berlin went off, London went off, Chicago went off, Boston went off. This isn't a marathon, but still, 
like something we did have the 5k we did have the york yorkdale right uh yorkville but we need like yeah we need we need this to start coming back right some some normalcy so so it's exciting but we know we know the 10ks aren't aren't your, your thing anymore it's you know what's what's the next big one yeah. So the next big one I'm training for is the Valencia marathon, which is in December. So that's going to be the the next big goal. And, uh, you know, it's historically a very, very fast course, very deep field. You know, I think the past couple of years, there's been 20 guys between 208 and 210. So I think it'll really? be, it'll be a very deep field and I'll be able to work with a lot of guys there in that group. So yeah, I'm really excited for that to, to really give it a go and see what I see what I can do uh, outside of a championship marathon. So you're gonna, you think there's gonna be some big names coming up in uh, Valencia? That's the interesting part. I mean, it's it's always a very fast race. I don't know necessarily. I don't think they're taking in like Kipchoge for the race or anything like that. But there there will definitely be. I think it was one in two or three or something like that um, last year. So it's definitely a really fast race and in a really deep field. So I think it'll be great to uh, to hop in almost just like Toronto, just hop in the field and and just plug through the race and see see where it takes me. You know, it, it was very interesting, obviously, with the marathon project. I had the goal of of not blowing up. I wanted to get my tasks done, just get the job done and qualify for the Olympics. But now I have a little bit more leeway into going to Valencia and have a little bit more fun with it, see where my potential is on the day. And, uh, you know, hopefully things turn out uh, as planned and can show a little bit of uh, improvement in my time there. Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to be rooting for you and, and tracking you that day. It's going to be really exciting for um for you, for Canada, for us. It's going to be really cool. And Ben, this has been extraordinary. Um, Just, you know, you you just blew up on the scene, you know, <laughs> fresh out of Tulsa, crushing, you know, half marathons, towing a line in uh, Marathon Project, representing Canada. Mm-hmm at the Olympics and, uh, and now coming to Toronto, not, not too far from your hometown to, uh, to, to do a little uh, 10k action, yep. a little check mark, check mark on, yeah. Uh, yeah. on Lakeshore. Yeah. We're excited. We know you're just getting started. We know you're just getting started. So we're glad we got you now on a podcast <laughs> before you start really blowing up and then we got to start working with agents and everything, but we're, we're so excited. So excited for everything that's happening to you. Um, you know, whether it be the, uh, the Lululemon gig or RBC or CanFont, like it's just extraordinary and well-deserved. Like you're, you're, you're unbelievable. So thank you so, so, so much for, for sitting down with us and chatting with us. Like we're so grateful for this. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I mean, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk with me. You know, it's kind of funny, you know, it's, I don't, I don't think I'm really that stop too big of a name right now. So I, you know, I, I obviously love chatting. And like you said, it's always great uh, when different parts of the athletics community can come come together. Yep. You know, it's we can all learn from each other. Absolutely. It's not just the it's not not just the elite of the elite that you can learn from. You know, you can learn from the the middle of the pack or even the age groupers stuff like that. Yep. There's there's always something you can learn from. So always always happy to to talk and uh, thank you so much for the kind words. We appreciate you, Ben. We do. And with that being said, this is the longest drive podcast. Peace. Peace.